Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Human Condition MD with Dr. Madeira Mero right here on iHeartRadio. Don't forget about the website HumanConditionMD.com. That's HumanConditionMD.com. A fantastic website with a lot of great information. You can learn more about the doctor. You can learn about the program. You can also listen to previous shows as well as submit questions or topics you'd like us to discuss on an upcoming program. Without any further ado, Dr. Mero, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Somewhere between better and best, ready to uh, rock and roll till this weekend starts. Fall is in the air. We did some pumpkin carving last night with the kiddos. So that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> messy and fun. Yeah. It's, it's and always we, messy. Just say, when you got the kiddos, those two things seem to go hand in hand. Yes. They love everything messy. It's like they love. Forget buying expensive toys. Just buy stuff to make messes with. And yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And I've got to ask too with that, do you guys, do you roast the uh, pumpkin seeds? You know, we have in the past. We did not this year, and not for any particular reason other than I think exhaustion. Yes, <laughs> we have in the past, and they're and they're delicious, of course. They are a fun treat and uh, and uh, really good stuff. And as we get into fall, we'll probably bring up and talk a little bit about uh, kind of the shift from uh, from what are we going from daylight savings to standard time, and we'll do that mm-hmm. with our with our fast five this morning. It's it's uh, coming up uh, very very soon. As a matter of fact, depending on when you listen to this podcast, you may already be past that point. Going, what is going on with my right. with my brain? Why am I so foggy? You can blame. <laughs> shift in time. Exactly. So we'll get those details a little bit later on the program. We'll also talk about something. If you've ever had an out-of-body experience, um, they're doing mm-hmm. some research and some studies. We'll get some details from the doc on that, what, uh, what's been learned there and what's going on in your noodle to cause some of that to happen. But first, of mm-hmm. course, the continuing conversation, doctor, about the importance uh, the most important thing I think right now is COVID-19. And mm-hmm. we were talking before the show. I have a, an acquaintance of mine that I that I have kind of casual contact with. Like I, I mm-hmm. meet him, I see him maybe once a week or something like that. Anywho, ends up testing positive for COVID-19. And of course, uh, my immediate response is, oh goodness, I've got to get tested. So I call my primary care doctor and, and say, I got to get mm-hmm. in. I, I've, I've, you know, I've, come in contact with somebody in the last week or so that tested positive. And my doctor said, oops, sorry, can't help you there. There's clinics here in town that you can go to. And I, I was telling you, Doc, too, before the show, my son had a uh, had a kid at a school with it, and and he had tested, not tested, but he had told his nurse, oh, I've got a sore throat. And, of course, in schools right now, uh, we're, we're saying got to get it, got to sit out two weeks and get this test done. Right. Um, but he got was able to get his done right away, and you were telling me, Doc, and, and the story reinforces that there's kind of a, a, almost a wild west approach when it comes to who can get a coronavirus test and 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 what the what the criteria is for that testing. Yeah, it, it's totally the wild west, and you know the pandemic came upon us uh, so quickly uh, without again. Um, tens of hundreds of years of steady data and testing available. So there really wasn't a protocol set in place. We're just doing this as we go, trying to diagnose people and save lives as we go. And we've definitely made progress in the past six to eight months. I mean, that 
Not to say that we're not doing well, but you're absolutely right. If you're diagnosed with COVID or you suspect you have COVID, um, other than calling your personal physician and saying, can I come in for a test? You may get a multitude of answers from your physician, as you just mentioned. You may hear, hey, I don't have testing available in this office, or go to the lab down the street, or go to one of the facilities that are listed on Google. And so there's no clear answer. And I think some apps are now starting to pop up that say, you know, in your state, where can you get COVID tested, put in your zip code, that kind of thing. But the second thing that we were talking about off the mic here mm-hmm. is uh, there's different types of testing available. And we don't have to get into that whole um, spiel right now. But, you know, there's the PCR testing and antigen testing and rapid testing, antibody testing, which which test is being offered. So it's almost like you have to have a, a detective degree and medical degree to kind of figure <laughs> out, well, where can I go to get a rapid test that's accurate as soon as possible? And as we've discussed in the past and as many of you are familiar with, the sooner the results, the more efficacious and more useful they are. So if you're still waiting seven to 14 days for a result, by that point, you know, what have you done with yourself or your loved your loved ones? Have you already quarantined for 14 days? Then the test is almost futile. I mean, so yeah, you're absolutely right that every physician is doing the best they can. Some have access to uh, testing, some do not, some have to outsource it to different labs. And then of course, there's uh, field testing being set up uh, in different locations. So from your pediatrician to adult physicians, every physician is kind of handling it differently. But it is nice to be somewhat educated even before you call your physician and say, if you are offering the test or suggesting I go somewhere, what type of test are you suggesting? And as we talked about before, that PCR test is really the gold standard. It's really the best uh, test out there, most accurate, most sensitive, most specific. There are some second runners up. And then, of course, there's the antibody test, which can tell you, yes, you've had COVID in the recent past or no, you haven't with a reasonable degree of sensitivity and specificity, but doesn't necessarily tell you if you have it right now, which is of course, about most important. And one of the things, too, that, that further complicates the, this quandary is we're getting into into cold and flu season. We're getting into that time Ooh. of year where a lot of us, unfortunately, uh, are going to be dealing with, with our seat, whether it's the, you know, where I always I get a cold every fall or, um, God forbid, you forgot to get your influenza shot. You start to see some uh, you start mm-hmm. to see some of these some of these symptoms, which kind of which are very similar to COVID. And that, of course, then leads to the question of do you get tested then as well if it could potentially just be a cold? Exactly. And the the waters are going to become even muddier, like you said, because so many of the symptoms between our COVID-19 virus and let's say influenza, for example, overlap. So for example, a cough, runny nose, fever, general malaise. If you start feeling these today, later this week, do you immediately think to yourself, oh my gosh, I have COVID? Or do you think to yourself, oh, I just have run-of-the-mill, possibly flu or some other cold symptoms? And so there's no... 100% right answer here. The next question I'm getting from patients is, should I go get a coronavirus test? And in reality, you would deal with both of those things very similarly, at least in terms of management. You still want to somewhat quarantine yourself. And even though in the past, pre-COVID, if we had flu, I mean, logic would say you stay home from work, you stay home from school. But now more than ever, we would really want to enforce that because maybe it's not the flu, maybe it is COVID. And as we just mentioned, depending on your access to testing and if you can get tested, can you get a flu test while getting a coronavirus test? Um, Obviously the only way to 100% know if it's COVID versus the flu is by having a test 
performed. Um, there's men, there's tons of research that's come out in the past few months that says, well, maybe COVID you develop respiratory symptoms before the fever. Maybe the fever comes before the respiratory symptoms. But at the end of the day, there are people that are even asymptomatic. So uh, it's hard to use the symptoms as a barometer or as a measure of do you just have COVID? And I think sometimes the one that you mentioned that asymptomatic thing, which is, which is, you know, if, if you're somebody that, that has this virus, that's great because you don't have to worry about any of the, any of the serious consequences or complications. It's unlikely, but I, I think that's one of the things that I, for the, a lot of us get very frustrated is because you could be feeling perfectly healthy and God forbid, you could also be spreading, spreading around a very deadly and dangerous virus. And it's, it puts you in just such a, it's, it's such a, such a bizarre virus that way. Yeah, we're, listen, we're all tired of it. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a politician, <laughs> the president of the United States, um, a radio producer, everybody's tired, a child, everyone's tired of COVID. I, we're all in the same boat together. But the the simple answer here is there is no easy way to tell the difference between the common cold and COVID, especially at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And if we just say, well, everyone that gets sick should go get a test, we're definitely overloading a system that already can't deal with the COVID capacity. So it's a very difficult balance here. It's we don't want people to stop getting tested. The flip side is every person that has a sniffle, do they need to get tested? So it's a complex question with, I think, Mm -hmm. an even more complex answer. And there's really no right answer here. I think the best thing you can do is continue to social distance, whether it's the common cold or, or COVID, continue healthy hand hygiene, practicing those things at home and in the workplace. Uh, I know we talked about sterilizing those high touch areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, So again, keeping the hand sanitizer, the Purell, the disinfecting wipes around, because the same things that fight COVID-19 will absolutely be very beneficial in fighting cold and flu season. And it's something we touched on on, I think it was last week or the weeks before uh, program, of course, you can get that on iHeartRadio. We touched on the importance as well as getting your influenza vaccine, getting that done right now. Just cross that off your list, get that Mm -hmm. taken care of so you don't have to worry about it. Um, Doctors, we talk about two ways to, you mentioned uh, high-touch surfaces, keeping keeping those things clean. I heard a story uh, on the radio earlier this week about about one of the concerns is with with all the dry air is is our sinuses get more dry and they're not filtering quite as effectively and we forget that that our our nose and our mouth there's there's filtration in there that can actually fil- filter out some of these some of these issues and there was an interesting study conducted out of Penn State about about um um things like Listerine and, and mouthwashes that, that they do have an effect. Uh, and, and we don't necessarily want to say we're not talking cure here or anything crazy mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. but they do actually have an effect on the human coronavirus. Absolutely. What was fascinating about this study and by no means we'll say this first, do not. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Not go drinking and ingesting mouthwash, please. Um, we don't want a bleach situation where a number of individuals in the country started um ingesting and injecting bleach. So no, we don't want anyone to go start injecting or ingesting um, mouthwash. But what this study looked at was fascinating. And it did not specifically look at the COVID-19 virus, which is a type of coronavirus, but Mm. it did look at the coronavirus 
family, if you want to call it that. And interestingly, after uh, rinsing for different time periods, over 99% of the back virus was eliminated. So after minutes, like two minutes, it was 99.9% of the human coronavirus was eliminated. Uh, and in some cases, depending on the mouthwash, uh, after 30 seconds of contact time, even 99% of the virus was eliminated. So the question becomes, uh, how do we replicate this study and how do we use this in our nasal oral cavities uh, to perhaps prevent infection? Like you said, it's not going to be a treatment moving forward but perhaps preventing. I mean, maybe the same way we use um, hand sanitizer frequently, you might start seeing mouthwash uh, pop up in places uh, that may prevent that, that spread. And we do know there's more emerging data that says perhaps the less viral load we are exposed to, let's say I'm exposed to coronavirus today, if I actually wear a mask and I'm exposed to less of a viral load, or maybe if I use a mouthwash and I can eliminate some of that viral load, maybe I will have a less severe infection. And so that's what interests me is that can this even potentially just decrease that initial viral load? Let's say you are potentially exposed. Can you use that as almost a post-exposure prophylaxis? You know what I mean? I do. And that and that's it's and by the way, there's not nothing and I I have there's three things in life that I just really love doing. Hot showers um, mm-hmm. using Q-tips on my ears and using <laughs> mouthwash, which they're like, I don't oh, know what it is. Go. They're just like the most, like, like you feel just so good after all yeah. the, like, I don't know, I don't know exactly what it is, but like with, with like. Refreshing. The, yeah, exactly. You just feel like you're like, yeah, this is a, like with the mouthwash, it keeps them in my, in my desk. And for this reason is, you know, you eat something, you get, do a good rinse and spit and you just like, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, if, if nothing else, you have great breath, and uh, your dentist will thank you as well. Of course, taking your taking care of yourself with it. Oh, and doctor, some, well, while we're on Corona, we'll just talk one one uh, final thing on this is. I know in the world of, especially of talk radio and those kind of things, which is a world I am involved in, so I hear a lot of it. There's always criticism of the reporting of numbers and all oh, the numbers are, you know, inflated and blah, blah, so on. We hear this stuff, and I don't know if you and I have ever talked on the air about it, but I know I, mm-hmm. I asked you uh, once off the air just kind of how things like, and this is a very grim thing, but like things like death certificates, how is that, mm-hmm. how is that you know, filled out and, and those kind of things. And, and people don't often realize that. Another thing that we've overlooked when it comes to the conversation about, about um, lost life is mm-hmm. um, deaths other than COVID um, when it comes to an overbearing on the hospital system or those type of things. There's actually a, 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 a secondary concern for, for loss of life when it comes to COVID. And the, the pandemic is they're actually thinking that they may there may be an underestimate of the full death toll when it comes to deaths re- related to COVID-19 as well as because of disruptions from this pandemic people losing their lives as well there. Exactly and anyone um, in the medical profession definitely all physicians and uh, probably a lot of the nursing staff is aware of how uh, a death certificate is filled out and you're right this is a grim topic but it is a harsh reality of life and So I can tell you the very first time, I remember over a decade ago now, I had to fill out a death certificate. I had to be walked through the step. I said, well, this patient was very ill. They had, you know, hypertension. They had a stroke. They had diabetes. What do I write on this, on the death certificate? There's a protocol you have to write what you think was the most imminent cause of their ultimate demise. 
Now, this becomes very tricky when we talk about individuals. Let's take uh, an Alzheimer's patient, for example. They came into the hospital, may have also had a COVID-19 infection, plus or minus. Now, just looking at a death certificate, you don't know the story that has happened. Did the COVID-19 lead them to ultimately come into the hospital? Was it the Alzheimer's that led them to come into the hospital, you know, or vice versa? Um, but when you look at a death certificate and you see, well, Alzheimer's listed as number one or aspiration, meaning they uh, were inhaling basically uh, fluid or inf infections. When you see other diagnoses, list, diagnoses listed on the death certificate, it becomes complicated. Do you say now COVID-19 was the reason for their death and that's documented? Was COVID-19 even listed in those first couple of um, reasons for their death or was it not? And so what this does is this brings into question, are there unrecognized or undocumented infections in people that had you know, this COVID-19 uh, in deaths that were not documented? Or are the deaths being over-documented, but they were from other reasons? And so this is where, like, again, we live in an imperfect model and system right now where this is all happening very quickly and we don't have a great way to perfectly document it. But I think most sources would agree that deaths have been increasing as compared to previous years. So we know we're having excess deaths, but maybe the COVID-19 documentation was not there on the death certificate. So that death toll may be actually a lot higher than, what is it, 220,000 deaths that we're at right now. And I never thought, and, and I, don't, I don't know that anybody ever thought that there would be a time where people would be challenging the validity of, of, of a doctor's assessment on a, on mm -hmm. a death certificate. Like, I don't, and, and, and that I think for a lot of us, part of why, and I'll, I'll include myself definitely in this, is being completely naive to how these things are done and, and how the, the forms are filed and what type of information is used to make these determinations. Uh, woefully naive on it, mostly because I never thought in my life there would be a question or an issue about about that type of thing. Like, I mm -hmm. think for a lot of us, we're like, wait, what? <laughs> this is the, the we're, we're arguing about about the doctor's assessment or over inflating or under inflating. It's 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 a really it's, it's doc. I got to tell you to me, it was it's it was complicated. Yes, it was. <laughs> and, and I can tell you it's not. I promise you the the scientific uh, physician doctor community is not over or under inflating purposely for political gain. I mean, I think, for example, cancer touches a lot of people um, personally, and uh, a lot of patients will say, oh, yeah, I had a loved one that passed away from cancer. So in previous years, if you have a loved one that passed away from cancer, unfortunately, and cancer was written on the death certificate, it was kind of a clear-cut case. So let's pretend now that this loved one enters the hospital and they've had cancer and it's end stage, and, you know, it's looking like the end of their life, but maybe they had a COVID-19 diagnosis as well. Now, what happens? What does the physician write on the death certificate? Do they write cancer? Do they write COVID-19 first? Uh, and ultimately, it will depend on the situation. Did the COVID-19 exacerbate their symptoms and maybe that cut their life even shorter than was meant to be? Or was this cancer ultimately going to be their demise that day anyway? So this is where it gets very tricky and where interpreting just a death certificate becomes tough because you don't have the full story of the patient. You're just listing diagnoses. Uh, cancer, COVID, pneumonia. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's it, what's interesting too. As as you're describing that too, I think a lot of us just assume like, oh, the death oh, it di died of cancer. Well, there are mm -hmm. there are obviously 
other factors there as well. Mm-hmm. So and that's very, very good stuff. Talking this morning, great information, and I hope people were paying close attention to what the doctor said mm-hmm. there. And of course, this is the Human Condition MD with Dr. Madeira Romero, the website humanconditionmd.com. That's humanconditionmd.com. Take a, let's take a little bit of a break from uh, COVID here, Doc, and mm-hmm. let's talk about something I almost feel like this segment should be called probiotics. Is there anything <laughs> they can't do? Because it seems like um, when it comes to, uh, to probiotics, I see story after story, and we're going to talk about wine as well. Maybe we'll apply that mm-hmm. same term to that. Uh, but with probiotics... Um, for people who don't know one, what are they? Um, I typically think of like a, like a good good for the gut, good bacteria for the gut. But there's also a new study that says something about they can help with depression when they're combined with prebiotics or help it help us out, Doc. <laughs> Absolutely, and this is fascinating to me because we've discussed it. I'm sure everyone has heard of um, over-the-counter probiotics or prebiotics that you can, of course. Buy, and we've all seen the commercials for it. It's traditionally known to be taken for gut health. Mm-hmm. And by gut health, uh, you know, we're talking about your GI tract, your intestines, you know, what kind of bowel movements you're having every day can definitely be affected by um, what kind of bacteria live in your gut. And I know a lot of us hear bacteria and we think, I don't want bacteria in my gut. Don't I want to fight that? The truth is, there is good bacteria. And so you may hear the term lactobacillus uh, and there's many different types and uh, different types of bacterium. These are good bacteria that can populate our gut and actually have uh, very positive effects. For example, they can decrease inflammation. They can um, uh, basically interfere with the cascade of cytokine production, which again can lead to inflammatory bowel diseases and, and other situations. But what we want to discuss here is a little bit different. What we're discussing here today is the connection between the gut and the brain. So they they call it the the gut-brain access. Now, why would the the gut and the brain have this access, and how do probiotics fit into this? So a very interesting study done in the UK, uh, it took over a year. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. And it looked at over 1.4 million people, so a very large study, looked at anxiety, stress, um, other related disorders, things like depression, and 53% of the participants had either anxiety or, depre- uh, anxiety or stress, 33 had depression, and it looked at this relationship between the brain and the digestive tract, and seeing do prebiotics and probiotics potentially help mitigate some of these symptoms. Now, interestingly, there is some data from this study to suggest that in reduction of maybe these inflammatory chemicals, maybe reducing things like uh, the tryptophan, maybe this uh, 
gut-brain access is affected and people with anxiety, depression, underlying um, mental, basically, issues may be able to help themselves by taking these probiotics. And so it's not a perfected study. We can't make 100% recommendation here. But purely from this information gathered from this study, it would suggest that there is some kind of connection between the gut bacteria that's living there and then also how your mind is functioning and how it's thinking. And you may be able to improve conditions like depression, like anxiety, like stress. And so this is not a call to say stop taking your medications and just buy probiotics. Always talk to your uh, physician, your psych psychiatrist, uh, whoever prescribes for you. But it may be something that can be used as adjunct or additional therapies here. Very fascinating to think um, that, you know, Hippocrates over 100 years ago said, let food be thy, thy cures and thy medicines. Um, basically, what we're ingesting has a direct effect not only on our stomach and our intestines and our bowel movements, but also a direct effect on how we're processing things mentally. And also what our moms used to say, you are what you eat. So, exactly. <laughs> <really good laughs> stuff, doctor. That is absolutely amazing. Uh, speaking of mom, let's talk wine. No, I'm kidding, mom. Um, <laughs> uh, this moms is... are always the best doctors. I will tell you that. It was like not until third or fourth year of med school where I was like, I think I know more than you, mom. And she was like, no, no. You know, not till you're a mom. <laughs> yes. Oh, that is awesome. And let's talk about uh, about wine. And, and doctor, there's a, there's a few things that seem to go, um, I feel like, as as just a, just an observer, go back and forth. I hear about chocolate, I hear about coffee, and I hear about wine. It feels like one day it's good, one day it's not so good. Um, and I always feel like the, it always comes back to the keyword moderation. What about wine? Is it healthy? Is it harmful? And there are some distinctions, too, as far as which type of wine, right? And what about the color, right? Ooh. What happens to the red versus white? And um, I have to thank someone, Mr. Singh, for this story, who is, I think, our biggest fan of the show, always sending us interesting topics and feedback. So he sent me this article, which is fascinating. And it's, is wine basically healthy or harmful, as you just stated? And then ultimately, does the answer depend on the color? So there has been much data, some of it conflicting, uh, that says there's maybe healthy substances in the wine. They've talked about different chemicals in it. Maybe they're anti-cancer. Maybe they can prevent Alzheimer's. Maybe they're great for our heart, which is all, which is what we all want to hear, right? We've all looked at the Lancet study that says, well, if the French consume tons of wine and they have let, less heart disease, maybe we should all be drinking wine like the French. And they call it the French paradox because other studies have shown that consuming increased um, wine or alcohols can actually be harmful to the heart. So what are you supposed to do as, as an individual, as, as a person that's me and you? Do you drink the wine? Do you not drink the wine? Do you listen to the French and just keep drinking? The truth of the matter is it's going to depend on your underlying conditions. Oh. So if you have underlying conditions that uh, your physician says do not drink alcohol, then please heed that advice and do not drink alcohol. Now, if you don't have underlying conditions and you want to enjoy a glass of wine, let's say, there may be some argument that it can be cardioprotective, but in all these studies, it was a limited amount of wine, perhaps a glass a day, mm. and usually on a red wine. So to answer the question, it's usually a red wine that's looked at. Um, and so this may decrease hypertension. This may decrease mortality and decrease your cardiac risk. So you can feel good when you're drinking that red wine. 
But the reality of the situation, looking at other studies, is is that when people drink, having a glass of wine, one glass of wine, typically increases your chances of almost 70% to having a second glass of wine. Uh, and whether you call it decreased inhibition or you're enjoying the moment. So uh, excessive drinking, though, has been proven to not be healthy. That we know. So you can't uh, have a glass of wine every, I'm sorry, a bottle of wine every night and say, well, I'm protecting my heart. No, the answer is do not excessively drink. Um, and so even though it has the polyphenols and the revesterol and uh, some of these health bonuses that are claimed to activate at a cellular level, um, scientists on the other side of the, of the study have said, you're not ingesting enough of those good chemicals to really help you. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's it's really interesting too, Doc. When we when we talk about a little bit about kind of the the different um, the different areas of this and the different benefits that could be there, and of course some of the offsets that that are present as well with consumption of alcohol. And and I know for for a lot of folks, when it comes to things like like wine, I think a lot of us would say, oh, it's a perfect it's about the perfect beverage. You know, you split a bottle uh -huh, with your uh -huh. wife, and it's oh, you get the yeah, just about the perfect buzz. And I think we look for look for good <laughs> reasons to to do it and. and and as you point out, of course, is is we talk about things like moderation and those type of things. There's also other areas and other things you can be doing, other dietary things you can be doing to be getting some of those some of those similar benefits as as well. So wine's not the not the only way to go. It may Correct. be the most enjoyable way. But <laughs> you brought up uh, chocolate and caffeine, yes. and so some of these other things um, necessarily won't necessarily have the negative consequences. They've, they've tried to do studies on grape juice, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, wa most wines come from grapes. And so why would grape juice not have that effect? And so it's fascinating. And so you're absolutely right that if you're, you can't justify basically your alcohol consumption by saying the health benefits of it. We'd yeah. all love to say that. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, if you're going to drink, you know, sure, I guess if you're going to choose between red and white, the red may have some of these health benefits. Uh, but ultimately, the jury's still out or maybe still inebriated. Who knows? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I remember, too, a couple of months ago, you had, I don't think it was on the show. I think it was uh, you and I were talking a bit before the show. <laughs> you had commented about about when you go out to eat, out to dinner, why they always yeah. will offer you that little sample that uh, <laughs> or or you know, a little larger yeah. sample. Uh, you pointed out a really interesting fact about about people who, who decide to have one drink, the probability mm -hmm. for them to have a second, quite high, isn't it? Exactly. So it financially is a very smart move for restaurants, uh, businesses to offer that. Even if you're offering the first glass half free or free, chances are you and either yourself or with your significant other, with friends, you're going to imbibe in a second, second possibly third glass after that. Really interesting stuff. Talking this morning with Dr. Madeira Mera. This is The Human Condition with Dr. Mera right here on iHeartRadio. Don't forget, you can, of course, check out the website, humanconditionmd.com. That's humanconditionmd.com. A lot of great information about the show, about the doctor as well, and a great opportunity for you to submit any questions or anything you'd like brought up on the program. Again, just head on over to humanconditionmd.com. That's humanconditionmd.com. And, doctor, I was proud of myself the uh, earlier this week when I saw a story and I thought, ooh, Dr. Mara's gonna love this one. And there was there was some really deep science, but there's also a really a, a really uh interesting for for me. I, I kind of took it in and I thought, wow, this is amazing. Um researchers pinpointing the brain circuitry underlying dissociative experiences, out-of-body experiences for for mm -hmm. us normal people. What are we talking about there? First off, for people who don't know, out-of-body experience, these are legit. These do happen. 
mm-hmm. we're starting to find out inside the noodle what's going on up there, aren't we? Exactly. And, you know, like you said, a lot of us maybe have experienced this. Uh, they think that somewhere between 2 and 10% of the population will experience this mysterious phenomenon, like an out-of-body, what we call dissociative experience, where you feel basically transported or separated literally from your own body. Uh, and why does this happen? It can sometimes happen in traumatic events or different states, perhaps hallucinogenic. It may be um, induced by certain chemicals or, or drugs, but it can also just happen naturally. And so what's going on inside the brain that triggers this dissociation? And we have more and more emerging data, especially in the Nature magazine. Now, as a neurologist, this is always exciting to me, is that they've basically identified the brain circuitry or the pathway that causes this experience. And it's beyond... Um, potential, uh, simple explanations. You know, it ultimately goes back to philosophical things. What is the self? How do we view the self? Who am I? Those kinds of things. And so when a patient feels that dissociation, we may be thinking it's so magical and wonderful, but if a patient experiences a lot of this, it's disruptive and obviously can affect someone's daily life. Uh, It is very closely connected or usually begins... Um, getting tied to things like epilepsy and seizures. And is this what happens when someone has a seizure? And so you can you can understand that seizures and epilepsy, of course, are very disruptive to an individual's life. And so when we've studied those electrical signals, we can see what basically is happening in the brain, what is happening with the synapses, how that happens. Now, right before a seizure, I've heard many patients say that I had this dissociative aura or that out-of-body experience right before the seizure that told me I was about to basically have a seizure. It, it was my warning sign. So what is happening in those electrical activities in that in the cortex, it's called the posterior medial cortex, that begins it, immediately those signals begin oscillating and generating those nerve firings uh, about three hertz, uh, three cycles per second. And this is what we noticed um, when when patients had that that's really interesting too doctor as, as I, I i think in in talking with you over the years and i actually was talking with a ophthalmologist uh not too long ago just about how tricky the brain is i think we often underestimate mm-hmm. that like we were just talking about vision and, and talking about how your brain does a lot of assuming and, and fills in a lot of things like you know, things like a peripheral vision you're not seeing color but your brain's making it believe that you're seeing mm-hmm. that color and we're seeing this stuff as well as as far as what is reality what are you know what is the state that we're in right now our brain is forming all of that that is that is it, it's doing its job but it it's such a such a as, as you mentioned it's it's more than just uh um like it's more than just like the the connections and the chemistry there's a there's a philosophical element to all of this stuff there's a there's kind of a you know this this very i don't know you're trying to figure out what mm-hmm. is the brain what is life what is this i mean we're talking about some pretty pretty heady topics, so to, so to say, with this stuff. What is the self is yes. the big question, and I'm sure people much more intelligent than myself and philosophers have, have answered that. I'm a pseudo, pseudo-philosopher, as we call it. I love to dabble in it and, and get to it to a certain point, and then after that, like you said, it's, wait a minute, this is heavy stuff here, and scientists have tried to even recreate this experience in mice, right? So we always look at animal studies. So they've given mice uh, different types of chemicals like ketamine, and they've tried to create this dissociative state 
even within the mice. But the problem is the, the mice cannot tell us how they're feeling. So that becomes difficult because even though we can study their electrical signals and the disconnect between um, even some of the perception, the sensation we present to them, they can't tell us how they're feeling, but that's such a human characteristic. That's such a human philosophical characteristic that I can tell you, I feel out of my body right now, or, or what is the self or what am I? And so to be able to explain that makes us very human and separates us from mice or other animals. Very, very good stuff. Talking this morning with Dr. Madeira Mera. This is the Human Condition MD with Dr. Mera right here on iHeartRadio. Don't forget about the website humanconditionmd.com. That's humanconditionmd.com. You've got something you'd like us to talk about on the program. The doctor would love to hear from you. All you got to do is get to the website humanconditionmd.com and submit your question or your story idea right there. Time now. For the Fast Five, today we're going to be talking about the five ways daylight savings messes with our minds and bodies. And we've got uh, an end of daylight savings coming up uh, on Mm -hmm. November 1st. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it may have already happened, it may be happening soon, but it does Mm -hmm. have an effect on you. And doctor, real quick before we break these five points down, I've always thought we've just got to admit we made a mistake with time and either spring ahead (laughs) uh, by 30 minutes or fall behind by 30 minutes and and Mm -hmm. be done with it. Just cut, cut the baby in half. And we'll be right yeah. in the middle and say, we're there. We're good, right? <laughs> it's such a mess. And it blew my mind to learn that there were some places that don't even do yeah. daylight savings. Like, how confusing is that for them? Because everyone else is doing it. Yeah, but yeah it is a mess. It's a mess. It <laughs> is. And it causes all sorts of issues. The first issue on the Fast Five this morning, things that uh, that affects, that has an effect on uh, your body when it comes to daylight savings. We see more car accidents. Yeah, and this is not something we traditionally think of. Uh, We all think of the inconvenience it causes us in terms of sleeping and waking up and kids going to school and how difficult it is. But one uh, one of the journals of environmental public health studied the number of traffic accidents and found out that uh, there may be an increase in traffic accidents. Um, Maybe there are fewer crashes depending on morning drivers and evening drivers and you know, when daylight savings falls uh, in that spot. But it is possible that because of those sleep changes, circadian changes, circadian rhythm changes, um, your your alertness state is basically different. So you can definitely imagine um, potentially fatal car accidents occurring because people haven't yet adjusted to this change in, in sleeping and waking. Hey, your body doesn't know uh, <laughs> know that we rolled the clocks back. Exactly. Right? It's just going, hey, I'm going on my own thing. Uh, the number two point is increased workplace injuries. And I've got to assume this is lo- along similar lines of those car accidents. Exactly. It's very similar. So again, there was a journal, the applied, uh, the Journal of Applied Psychology that looked at uh, mining workers, for example, and if they got 40 minutes less sleep, they experienced 5.7%, so almost 6% increase in workplace injuries. Now, you may think to yourself, 6% is not huge, but just think about what you do for a living. Are you a Starbucks barista? Are you a physician? Are you a radio host? Are you whatever it is that you do for your living? Just think about making a six to 10% mistake now that day or that week. And then it becomes significant because it adds up. So of course these can be um, minor incidences. Maybe you put almond milk instead of soy milk in someone's drink, or they can be uh, very large uh, life, life-threatening incidences. So we just know that even that slight change in sleeping, waking cycle can definitely make you less alert, less uh, able to focus on your daily tasks. Really good stuff. Number three, this one surprised me. We see more heart attacks following the time change. 
This is this is always surprising, and and I think people forget that uh, sleep affects every part of our body. It's something we either take for granted, we know we don't get enough of, but we don't necessarily prioritize. But we know that sleep affects how our heart is functioning, how much cortisol is being produced, that stress hormone, uh, and so a lack of sleep can release stress hormones that then increase inflammation. When you have that increased inflammation, this can cause more severe complications of, for example, things like heart attack. So it may be increasing your risk that, let's say you were bound to have a heart attack uh, after, around this time, but if you have more of that stress hormone, more inflammation, you may, you may be more likely to unfortunately die from that heart attack. So just another argument to make sure that you set your clocks, you know, you start practicing ahead of time, you adjust your sleep schedule so that your body is able to adapt without being totally stressed out. And it's not just something you feel like, oh, I'm stressed. It's literally your body physiologically making chemicals and hormones that are not happy ones. That's a really good thing, too, to think about is I think a lot of us just kind of do it one day rather than building up and adjusting uh, mm -hmm. gradually, which that's a really, really good point. Uh, doctor, the heart attack one was surprising. This next one, number four, not as surprising. Uh, we spend more time, quote unquote, <laughs> cyber loafing. <laughs> so what is cyber loafing? It's like a colloquial or a slang term for surfing the web, for personal entertainment, basically cruising along. And this may not be, of course, as life threatening as the car accidents or the heart attacks or workplace injuries. But if you're a company or you're a business and you hire um, hire people. This can, of course, can affect efficiency, salary wages um, that are just basically going to people surfing the internet or cyber loafing. It sounds like such a oaf, oaf type word, <laughs> yeah. cyber loafing, like <laughs> came out of the woods somewhere. But uh, again, uh, some journals have looked at large metropolitan areas and, and seen that the first Monday after daylight savings, people were more likely to just be cyber loafing. It's maybe the shift in the lack of sleep lack of motivation to really focus on what they're doing. So it's so easy to be on social media, Instagram, cruising, you know, Google.com, CNN, Fox, whatever your vice is, just mindlessly cruise those headlines or your social media because, you know, that's more relaxing than having to focus on work when you're tired. Really good stuff, doctor. And number five for the fast five, this is right up your alley, mm -hmm. increased cluster headaches. What's the cause and what do we know there? So we know that circadian rhythms, uh, which is basically the fancy word for how our brain determines our sleep-wake cycles, is very sensitive to perhaps changes like um, daylight savings, mood, hunger, uh, being able to get back to sleep, uh, perhaps if the time has changed. And the body notices these things. Even if you think you're a tough cookie, I have definitely seen an increase in cluster headaches, chronic pain, uh, different types of medical uh, situations because of decreased sleep. And so it's very important that these circadian rhythm changes can then induce things like cluster headaches, increased chronic pain. I see it a couple times of year routinely, sometimes around daylight savings, and then always around big holidays because people's circadian rhythms have changed during Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, you're sleeping, you're traveling, you're with family, and then inevitably my phones blow up, I'm receiving more calls, patients are trying to get in. It's a very busy time of year. 
And it's funny that some of it is just offset by that lack of sleep and lack of routine. Your body notices it and it picks up these differences. Fascinating stuff. It's really going to be interesting, too, with with folks of their schedules oftentimes altered right now because of COVID. Mm-hmm. What kind of effect this, this is going to have if it's going to be maybe easier or maybe in some cases might be harder as well with that time change. Very fascinating stuff. Dr. Madeira Mera, this is the Human Condition MD with Dr. Mero right here on iHeartRadio. Don't forget about the website humanconditionmd.com that's humanconditionmd.com great resource of course links to all the previous shows podcasts as well as an opportunity for you to submit a question or something you'd like us to talk about right here on the program just head on over to humanconditionmd.com that's humanconditionmd.com dr mara it is always great hanging out with you you have a fantastic week thank you so much sean stay happy stay healthy with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.